Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts, joined by BC. We're no longer in the, the war room basement. We're back up to the, the conference table. Nebraska does not have a coach yet. Cause for concern, Brian? No. Brunts? <laughs> no. I kind of generally agree with that. Is that the end of the podcast? Are we done? <laughs> I, I mean, I think we can discuss a few more things than just that, but uh, no coach named as of yet. Um, there maybe is a favorite at this point in the, the juncture. Is it is it Braum? No, he's busy recruiting. Is it Greg Schiano? Greg Schiano. <laughs> it's not Greg Schiano. Is it Dave Doran? It's not Dave Doran. How about Herm Edwards? Yes, yeah, is, is Herm coming? You guys keep mentioning everybody else that's being mentioned for every other job. You're 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 getting one. Willie Taggart. No. Mike Gundy. Nope. Kevin Sumlin. Nope. I'm out of guesses. Yeah, that's it. You guys are bad at this. It's Scott oh. Frost. Oh, oh. there you go. <laughs> ridiculous. The guy who played at Nebraska? Yeah. He was quarterback here. I read something about that. <laughs> What'd should, you read? Just a share. <laughs> yeah, you only got a share of that title. It's this not, has been a very, not very give him too much credit here. Rough, uh, what, three minutes so far? I think far? it's been just fine. A, just a minute 30. <laughs> it feels like double. Uh, so we're on Wednesday, Wednesday morning, watching Tennessee continue to smolder and basically give every example of how not to run a coaching search. How's this kind of gone for Nebraska so far, would you guys say? I, I would say, I mean, if if what we is, happens is what we think is going to happen, and Scott Frost is going to be the head coach at Nebraska on Sunday, I would guess, Sunday, Monday at the latest, you would have to say Bill Moose to me is like the NASCAR driver who was kind of in the back and – biding his time and then there was just this giant wreck and tires and flames are everywhere and he skidded through the infield came out on the other side and now he's just got the window down and he's got the the jams pumping and everything's going pretty well i think <laughs> for some reason he's got his feet out the window just yeah hanging out yeah i think it's very uh ricky bobby so as tennessee kind of weaves its way back and forth across the track <laughs> Throwing throwing everybody off in its wake. Um, I mean, could Bill Moose have handled this better? I mean, assuming that what we assume is going to happen happens. <laughs> this is going to sound so ridiculous. This is why South Florida needed to win last Friday so we don't have to speak. In so this is Charlie Strong's fault. Ridiculous couched overturn. What isn't Charlie Strong's fault? Who hasn't been left in the wake of Charlie Strong? Texas, well, Nebraska ten- fans now. Tennessee so far. Well, they, they can't get a they can't get them to answer a phone call. So, uh, but it it basically has created this scenario where we have to couch every conversation with if what we assume to be true happens. Right now, Scott Frost is a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite for the Nebraska job. It's widely regarded that he is going to end up in Lincoln sometime after UCF plays Saturday against Memphis in the AAC championship game. I think that Bill Moose handled this really well. I mean, I I look at this scenario where Moose did not want this operating in public. 
Uh, we laid out a timeline that you can read about on Nebraska.247sports.com as to how Nebraska sort of made that work, um, that they were able to get what we believe to be tentative agreements before the job even was publicly open. So that way there wasn't this situation that you saw at Florida, that you've seen it at Tennessee already that potentially could play out at other schools where you're getting these public rejections, where you're getting, you know, coaches raises. And I think that that shows that Bill Moose was over there playing chess uh, when other people were playing checkers. And, and it's a good thing for Nebraska. I mean, the, one of the things I've picked up from various people that we uh, all know and, and in the media, and there seems to be a belief that there's a level of competency operating out of Nebraska's athletic department <laughs> that uh, maybe hadn't been at that level for a while. Uh, and it's not that Sean Eichhorst in 2014 ran a bad coaching search. It's, you know, I mean, there was no leaks. There was no public rejections. It was just a very different feel than what Bill Moose gave on Saturday when he stood up and was openly talking about any coach that may or may not have been available at the time. When you heard Moose speak on Saturday, I wrote about in the breakdown, when, didn't, didn't you think, like, I'd like to work with that guy. I yeah. mean, I mean that's a th- there's two things here that are the biggest deals to me. The boss, Moose, seems like he'd be a great guy to work with, would have the kind of personality where he'd be like, "Yeah, I I join at the hip with that guy and and see where this goes." Where if he's sitting in a back corner booth of a dimly lit restaurant, uh, pitching to you would probably be more effective than most guys. That's the first part. You think it's an Italian restaurant? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I definitely do think it's an Italian restaurant. Um, that kind of Godfatherish um, is kind of how I see it. Yeah, I just didn't know if you were thinking steakhouse or Italian. Hopefully, nobody gets up like it says. I got to go to the bathroom to like check <laughs> at any point. I don't. I don't think that happens. But the second part is the assistant coaches' salaries, too, which I think is a huge part of this deal. These guys want to protect their own, even if it's the guys that are going to come with them or guys they want to add to their staff. That's a big deal to head coaches, I've learned, over the last five to ten years. We get all caught up in the head coach's salary for good reason, but it's what are those other guys, what kind of pot of money are you going to put before me that I can give to these guys who are grinding with me? And Central Florida's last year was, what, $2.1 million? I'm sure they raised that. But Nebraska's was about three point nine, and that, we've heard, is could probably going to go way up this year with what Frost has given. That, that, those two things, boss and assistant money, are huge in this, I think. All right, well, uh, we just had coming across breaking news on, on Twitter uh, from – the Central Florida side of things, UCF appears to be preparing for life outside of Scott Frost. What? And, uh, well, <laughs> that seems a prudent thing to do. It, it does seem like you might uh, want to do that. Though, I mean, they were, I wouldn't say hopeful, but certainly trying to make last-ditch efforts throughout the early part of this week, uh, whether it was adding to their football excellence fund, uh, whether it was you know just trying to get them in a room with – Danny White and seeing if there's anything that could be done. So I, I I think that it's, you know, another step along the way is if UCF is starting to prepare for a new coach, 
it's another uh, you know reason we don't have to couch where we think this is going. Well, I mean, the, in the timeline that was kind of laid out, uh, that you did a really nice job with on Sunday, I believe it was. Um, at that time, the, at least from what we had been told in Orlando, there was still a little bit of hope that, you know, he had told Florida no, that it was basically between Nebraska and UCF, that, you know, things were looking a little bit better for the Knights to potentially hang on to him. And then that shifted quite a bit uh, in, in the 24 hours after that earlier this week um, to where there was a little bit, uh, you know, the confidence wasn't there basically. Um, and that, you know, Ryan Bass of our 24 uh, seven site at UCF was reporting that some were even some people in the offices were even cleaning out their desks and, and anticipating a move. So um, it, it's not like, you know, that it, it was just kind of a gut feel there that things had suddenly shifted, but there were a lot of signs pointing that way. And, he, and even, you know, as you kind of look at other dominoes uh, that, that might fall still on the coaching carousel, one being Jimbo Fisher potentially going to uh, A&M and then Willie Taggart going from Oregon to Florida State, uh, th- there was a little note that Football Scoop put out that Oregon considers Frost to not be available right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, another reason to kind of point to uh, things looking okay for Nebraska there. That timeline. Pause that. Coming back to you after a quick intermission there, we had a little bit of news we wanted to get on the site immediately. Eric Chenander, the UCF defensive coordinator, allegedly maybe joining a future Scott Frost staff that would potentially be happening at Nebraska. But, of course, we can't say all of those things are official because we don't have that email in our inbox yet. But that uh, report coming from Ryan Bass and the guys at the uh, Knights 247, 24-7 website uh, who have been kind of all over things down there this week and as they've continued to develop. Kind of an interesting bit of news there, though. I mean, you've got Shenander, uh runs kind of a 3-4 defense, but more of an attacking style 3-4 defense. Uh, was with Frost at Northern Iowa. He's an Iowa grad, so he's familiar with the Big Ten. Um, it's interesting. We'd kind of heard throughout the week that if, again, if Scott Frost decided to come home, that um, there was some question about whether uh, his defensive coordinator and good friend would follow him. Um, but it sounds like, at least now, as of now, on you know Wednesday at one thirty-five p.m., uh, that, that that may actually be the case. Yeah, I think it, it's a good fit for Nebraska. I know at least one defensive commitment in Tate Wildeman. This is uh, pretty big news for him. He likes the style of defense in which UCF plays. Feels like he'd be a good fit as a 3-4 defensive end if that is indeed what they end up doing. Uh, I think that you can probably move him closer to being back in the boat at this point. I'm sure once the news comes officially, you'll hear more. In that regard, but I, I think it's good. You know, I mean, they'll, they'll transition a little bit in terms of, you know, style maybe. But the, the actual defense, if it stays at 3-4, is good for Nebraska because I, I was a little concerned about you jump from a 4-3 to a 3-4 to a 4-3, having to reset that, um, you know, body size, recruiting cycle, all of it. It would be a little bit difficult in the transition. The, you know, I've thought about this and in, in, in thinking of transition. So defensively, you know, Nebraska runs Bankers four three 
for two years. They switched to Bob Diaco's um, passive 3-4. You know, I, I feel like they're in a position, I mean, aside from having to kind of reset their recruiting board a little bit, I feel like they could actually run either defense pretty well because they, I mean, they've got a lot of guys that were recruited for a 4 3 on the roster and guys that I think in some instances fit the 3 4, some who didn't. Uh, and that you could, you know, get, get some versatility that way in terms of, you know, what Nebraska's going to be able to run in the future. They do have a bunch of kind of tweener guys mm-hmm. when you think about how they stocked up at linebacker and, Guys, we haven't even. I'm gonna not think of some of the names because they've they've been off our radar. But guys who have just kind of disappeared, and you wonder about. I mean, obviously there's a guy Thomas and stuff like that. But you think of like Quayshon Alexander types and like a Willie Hampton or yeah, Andrew Ward. I mean, there's a lot of guys you could name off eight, nine guys probably who we were like, hey, they could they could. Uh, take that guy and use him different ways a a different coach could see a different way to use him so I think that's the one good thing and and to Riley's credit that's part of the reason why he was um why he liked the 3-4 so much is because it is it is very hard to recruit just difference making defensive linemen all over the place but you can find a lot of those guys at linebacker who fit in that second level that you can maybe build into an end type player or you know you can drop them down to it and wait sometimes so that those guys there's a lot of them on this roster yeah i just kind of piggybacking off of what you said i think it's a little bit easier and we've seen wisconsin have some success with it that you can take some guys that have sort of the body type of a luke gifford and maybe they played safety or even wide receiver in high school and you use that frame you get some weight on them you get them in the weight room they have the right mentality they can end up at linebacker for you and wisconsin's done a really nice job with that uh i would imagine that you know with ucf what they did was they used a lot of those florida athletes that mike riley talked about when he went down for his satellite camps he said that they have so much athleticism and speed down there that there's different ways that you can get them involved I'll be curious to see if that's a a part of a potential recruiting strategy going forward. If if they're really gonna try to focus in on maybe locking up some of the market of of some of those tweener guys and and using them where their athleticism on the edge could really take advantage of things. If if he plays the style of defense that I think it is, and I've only really watched a couple UCF games here in the last year, it's far more aggressive than Bob Diaco's was. And so there's a... It's a big limb you're out on there. Well, you know. There, there's a, a systematic change inside that scheme. And so there's... It behooves you to have more athleticism on the field if you're going to try to take the attack to the offense at a faster volume and a higher rate than when you're really kind of sitting back and trying to force the offense to make a drive and protect areas of the field. I mean, it's, a, it's an entirely different mentality on top of everything else. Yeah, Bruns used a good word <laughs> earlier, passive, in describing Diaco's 3-4. And so hopefully people, I mean, a lot of people have used the 3-4 to great success. I know sometimes around here if something pops up for the first time and it doesn't work real well, it's like, oh, get away from that, do something different. But uh, the 
there are there are good ways to play a three four defense. We just didn't happen to see one the last three months. Yeah, I mean you could pretty much look in Madison for a pretty good template for how a three four can work and work pretty well for many years with while switching coordinators, mind you. Yeah, I mean it's it'll be interesting though to see and and then I think that's also the the benefit of somebody like Scott Frost is he's a guy who is worked on offense he's worked on as a defensive assistant so he brings you know that kind of thought process uh in that head coaching chair that i think is pretty unique assuming again that it's him (laughs) (laughs) it's kind it's funny though i mean we we have couched a little bit but we've been reporting it other people are reporting it Scott Frost is multitasking right now. I mean, this idea that it's like all about this game against Memphis Saturday, he's got a lot on his plate. He's he's putting a staff together. That's what he's doing. Again, you just need a better special teams play out of South Florida on Friday night, and we'd be having an entirely different podcast right now. Not much different. We would just not have to say uh, if. Allegedly. Much, yeah, <laughs> seemingly apparently. When it happens, possibly. <laughs> Uh, looking at that defense, I mean, you you, you brought something kind of interesting to me. I doubt it, but go well, on. No, I mean, you did. Uh, who are some guys that, that you think might even be slightly better fits under uh, more of an attacking style than what we saw with Diaco? I mean, I, I kind of wonder if the athleticism of a guy, Thomas, um, fits maybe a little bit better where you turn him loose versus where he's kind of playing in that spot that Alex Davis and, and others did where you weren't really sent upfield, but you've got to kind of protect an area. I think I think Alex Davis is an interesting player. Just I mean, he got better this year on a bad defense. He was individually having some moments where you're like, okay, I see that this guy's starting to pick it up. And I always – tell people i mean he's a guy who didn't play football very long and i think i do think a new staff will come in and look at a guy like that and see like okay we can do something with him and he's at least got some experience playing in games but then there's other guys who i don't know that their roles will significantly change but i just want to i just want to see them under different leadership like a carlos davis this year i was thinking about it yesterday when the all big 10 teams came out and it's amazing as bad as the defense was, it's amazing if you don't have one guy on honorable mention. I mean, you think about honorable mention, like, I think I made honorable mention in the paper in high school for some sports, you know. Like, they just give it out as, like, candy, like, thanks for playing. And Nebraska didn't get one guy. A little humble brag there from former <laughs> Omaha North soccer player Brian <laughs> was, I was just say, he regaled us with his feats of athletic glory on, guys, on the way back from somewhere. Did you know that somewhere. he had the key goal to send his team to the state Playoffs? Was it the finals? I would like to chime in here. You guys kind of – I was going to stop the story pretty quickly, and you guys wanted more details, did you not? Well, sure. Well, we're sports reporters. Yeah. I know, but I think it it was being presented off the bat there. Like, It's like, hey, guys, got to tell you a little thing about 1999. You omitted the part where you were an uh, honorable mention I, yeah. I said I think. I don't read all American. I said I think. I think there's going to be somebody who ch- fact checks that, like Skip Bayless scoring 30 points a game. My point was that there are a lot of <laughs> schlubs. I was trying to be self-deprecating. And schlubs like me make honorable mention in high school. And 
Nebraska didn't have one guy that's even like, here's a ribbon, you know, for points. And they had a lot of schlubs to pick from. <laughs> I feel like, going back to Brian's story, we were we were driving, I believe, back to the hotel after the Purdue game. Is that where it occurred? No, it was on the way to uh, Minnesota. That's right. We were, we were going through the city of Des Moines. That's right. It was after we stopped to get a burrito. We and, and the car was quiet for about five minutes, and the silence was broken by. Do you guys want to hear a story about athletic glory? Is and that then how you I just, started? Then you just launched into it. Really? <laughs> I don't remember it like no, that. No, it did not start that way at all. I I'll I'll stick up for Brian here. It started with me asking, "Hey, you guys went to the big city. What school did you hate the most?" That's right. That's how uh, it started. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it got. And then it the carried thing. on, so on and so forth, and. We I, ended up, Brian was telling us about his soccer days. I did go on about it a little longer than I needed to, but... <laughs> I, was, I was engrossed, and I'm not I being... actually was... I thought it was kind of... I didn't know that you played soccer. See? And so it was like I learned something. <laughs> I'm not going to tell all these people that there was a minute 40 left on the clock when I scored that goal, <laughs> and it was the only time North ever made the state soccer tournament. They'll have to figure that out for themselves, but um, the... The point I was making was even a guy like Carlos Davis, who I think we would all agree, like going into this year, is like, man, this guy is—he's got some tools. He's gonna—he's gonna be a really good player here for the next few years. I just felt like his season was like—it's almost like it didn't exist in some ways. Some of those guys, right? I yeah, mean, there were a couple games where Freedom would make a tackle, and I'd kind of think to myself, "Huh, he's out there. That's good." I mean, that—that that whole defensive line, I felt like. There, there were stretches of the season where they, they were almost, they almost kind of like faded into the background of the game, like they were like the chain gang or something like that. Um, and I was, I was kind of thinking about it after the the Big Ten stuff came out. I mean, at, at the start of the season, we talked about it a little bit that there didn't seem like there was any natural candidate for who's this guy on this team that's going to be like a first-team All-Big Ten player? I think, I mean, we even discussed Drew Brown being the most likely guy a little bit. And, you know, you get Stanley Morgan on the, on the second team today, but uh, I, I think, you know, the, the, that kind of told the story, especially on defense, of, of kind of how the year went. Yeah, that should never – what happened yesterday should never happen again. I mean, it, it just shouldn't. And I'm not even talking about honorable mention. I'm talking about having one guy on defense on the top three teams. Nebraska should always have one guy who slips into like third. At least team. a share. Yeah, at least a share, as Scott would say. Give him a share of that third, <laughs> even if it's not media and coaches. He just gets, just gets the coaches. Like a half nod. Third team. You need that. That should happen. And I'm not. The stuff about the D-line, I'm not even saying it to be dismissive of John Perella's work. I think Perella is a pretty good coach, and, I mean, he's got to be held accountable and prove it over time too. But, you know, he's a guy who I think, what we've heard, he could be considered being retained here. So, um, And I think his players like him a lot. I just felt like the guy who was the visionary of it all, whatever his plan was or he was trying to get across to his coaches to get across to players, some somewhere along the line, that just – got broken up and that's why we saw this what we did no doubt about it okay so moving forward couching aside scott frost yada 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 whatever do you envision like 
a lot of rough patches early. If Nebraska transitions away from their offense after this kind of ham egging it for two years and then all in on Tanner Lee and what we assume to be Tanner Lee's only season in Nebraska, do you envision a another sort of rough offensive year? Because I think that's the, we always talk about the defensive struggles, but frankly, they haven't been good offensively since early in. 2016 i mean the entire month of october and the month of november the bowl game in 2016 and then you turn around the whole 2017 season aside from the oregon game they were a really rough offensive team i mean i i don't know i mean stanley morgan being your representative you might be leaving too so is this are you headed towards what could be another rough year offensively I think that the the important thing that Bill Moose has to do whenever the new head coach is announced, whomever that might be, is to you need to give a, a pretty honest appraisal of where things are, and I, I think I think four and eight tells part of the story. And I think that's the difference from 2014 when, when Sean Eichhorst didn't really do that. I think it's going to take time. I think it's going to be a culture change that you have to go in on. And I don't think that that happens overnight. I mean, I, I think that and, – and I think offensively too. I mean, you, you talk about next season. If we're assuming that you know Tanner Lee is going to look pretty hard at the NFL, you're going to have a for sure a new quarterback, maybe a quarterback playing their first – um, collegiate snaps. Maybe you get a JUCO guy that fits your system or whatever. Um, you know, is there a running back on Nebraska's roster now that fits what Frost is going to want to do? You know, he they had offered Jalen Bradley, uh, but I, I, it, it's going to take time, especially if you lose Stanley Morgan. If he wants to go elsewhere to the NFL or anybody else leaves, um, I, I think it is going to take time, and I, I think that fans. I think fans are going to be more patient this time around, regardless of whether whoever the head coach is going to be, because of what they saw this season. That it, it wasn't going to be a quick turnaround. The most beautiful thing for this next coach, presumably Scott Frost, presumably, is uh, that four and eight. I mean, if he can win six next year, that's progress. And I th- I think honestly what what fans want to see now is they want to see this team, you know, when they go to Michigan, that fourth week, first Big Ten game, compete. Don't just look like an FCS school out there against an opponent like that. Like, it's one thing you could compete and lose a game by 21 points. I mean, that's totally possible. You could lose 38 17 or something like that. But you know when you're watching a team, you're like, you know what? They fought, and they're building something. You can see it even in a mm-hmm. score like that. When you're, we're watching Nebraska this year, you're watching them thinking, like, this is like watching Kent State play somebody. I mean, that's that's how it felt near the end of the season. And so that's the beauty for Frost and company and whoever is on that staff is the bar is so stinking low right now. Um, it's why, you know, this question's going around out there, like who's had the best setup or the worst setup as far as guys who have taken the job. Mike Riley had a tough setup. He had a, there was a fractured locker room 
who wasn't sure if Bo should have been fired. There was a fractured fan base debating every day about if Bo should have been fired. And, oh, yeah, the guy who fired Bo hired Mike Riley, so you're attached to him, and you got to take all that. That's a tough deal to walk into. This guy comes into a situation where there's been unanimous agreement, they need to make a change. And I think it's gotten to such a low point now where, I don't know, people, I think people have finally accepted, like, you can't just say, because Nebraska has that name on their jersey, that success is going to come out. That Like, you got to almost say, Nebraska right now is with Purdue and Minnesota and those guys, and you have to work your way up from there. That's where they're at. What else you guys want to get into today? I mean, we've had some recruit reaction over the last few days about Mike Riley being fired. Uh, no decommitments after the news. Chase Williams occurred beforehand. Um, where do you want to go with this? I mean, it's from kind of what you've reported all week, it sounds like the current group of commits – would welcome a Scott Frost hire. I mean, so let's get into it a little bit, I guess. I mean, you've seen jobs being filled around the country. You got Dan Mullen at Florida. You got um, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. Moorhead at Mississippi State. Somebody's, somebody's going to take Tennessee, maybe. Maybe. Um, what kind of buzz do you think Frost in Nebraska generates aside from the very obvious storyline of guy you know alum going home to fix the get the house in order i mean do you think that from an x's and o's point of view from a recruiting buzz point of view that there's going to be a lot of juice from this hire because i mean that's you talk about winning the press conference or whatever but you know there's going to be a lot of coaching moves going on here i mean is nebraska going to kind of rise above the, the news, so to speak, I guess, or the kind of get above the noise with that hire. It will for a quick, like, 30-hour period. Whenever that press conference happens, it'll own that news cycle. Uh, you'll have the, the stories of Scott Frost coming home and what that means for a Nebraska program that hasn't had the same level of success since he left in 1997, only one conference championship since then in 1999. That's certainly going to carry some of the news cycle. I think the biggest thing – and, and it's always sort of the biggest thing in a transition, and we never really cover it as well or talk about it, I think, enough. Maybe we will now because it was such an undoing for Mike Riley is going to be what the staff is that comes in. That's going to hold the key in terms of how they're going to be able to go out and recruit. I think Scott Frost in himself is a name that people will recognize and know in some parts of the, the recruiting communities and recruiting world, certainly down in Florida. It would help, but that's not an area where Nebraska has invested a lot of time this cycle, and so you're not going to expect a whole lot there. You could see some kids jump from his UCF class to join him, though if it fractures the the staff a little bit and they're expected to retain anybody there, you you maybe won't see as much. And, and maybe they're not going to be strong fits in some regards. So they, that all has to be done by – by Frost to figure out, one, what he has, what this class has, what his former class has, and then go out and try to figure out some areas where they can have some success. If, if they have somebody like Held, Ryan Held, on their staff, he's got good junior college connections that certainly can help in a transition year. Uh, I think that Nebraska is certainly, whether it's you know Terry Wilson or Willie Allen or 
some of the guys over at Iowa Western Community College, they're going to have immediate opportunity to pitch some of these things to, to junior college guys. So there's going to be buzz. It's not going to be the Chip Kelly to Los Angeles buzz. Um, but if you put Scott Frost and a, a decent staff around it, if Keith Williams gets retained or Dante Williams, I mean, it's certainly going to help out in Los Angeles because what you're attaching with Scott Frost isn't 1997 national champion. It's Oregon's offense. It's fun football. It's undefeated UCF. It's Marcus Mariota. The funny thing to me is for the kids being recruited, his success at Nebraska is does not matter. Like what he did at Nebraska, being a kid from Wood River and winning a national championship, or at least a share, it, it doesn't matter to the recruits because they don't know him from that. They, I mean, there is no that that's so irrelevant. But what does matter is that you can tie him to the development of Marcus Mariota. You can link him with a really strong offense. You can put him with an undefeated team that's playing for a conference championship and is number 14 in the college football playoff. All of those things stand out in the current environment, and that will help when he goes in home or when he makes a phone call. I think that one of the reasons a lot of the commits will stay is that if they get that phone call from Scott Frost of, hey, I'm coming here to build this up, you were already excited about Nebraska before, I know this place, you know who I am, that's going to help. You know who I am. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, think I get that it. They do. I, I just like him saying it like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely, I don't look for a lot of guys to to jump out of Nebraska's class if Frost is hired. The ones that do are probably connected strongly with a position coach, or in the case of Cameron Brown, have just been trending towards Ohio State and already decommitted once for Ohio State when the door wasn't open. Now that door appears to be open, and he could be joining a friend in Cameron Babb uh, and playing for the Zone 6 Specialists over there in Columbus, Ohio. All makes sense to me, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Thanks, Monty. Monty, too. Dynamite. Drop in. No, it's – I think the the thing that's interesting, you you mentioned – you touched on it a little bit, I think, was – so you've got the staff at UCF – that you know obviously has recruited Florida well and you start looking at potential areas where they're going to have recruiting connections at Nebraska and I, I kind of wonder if and, and we've kind of dug into this a little bit and, and we'll dig into it more but the connections that Frost has made in, in various parts of the country having coached at Oregon having recruited California when he was there the fact that he was at Kansas State, he was at Northern Iowa, he's been in Florida, you don't really find very often a coach who is that well-traveled um, in terms of region. I mean, that that's a pretty big swath of the country that he's coached in or has ties to or connections to. And, and I think that that helps at a place like Nebraska where you're going to have to recruit nationally no matter who that head coach is. Mm-hmm. The other thing about it is – He's, he's 42 years old, so he's not young, young. I mean, he's relatively speaking in the profession he is, but what he's, you said he's four years younger than Dan Mullen one time you told me that? Uh, yeah, two years. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, no one would guess that. <laughs> no. And the reason they wouldn't guess that is because he has that, like, if you asked a person off the street how old is Scott Frost, if they didn't do the math in their head for, quickly... 
The, I'm hoping that you use the phrase boyish good looks. That that would come up, boyish good looks, and they would say, <laughs> they would say, I don't know, thirty five. Don't you think a lot of people would say like mid thirties? They'd kind of guess. Well, he played college football a while ago, and then they do the math in their head. They'd be like, yeah, he's in his forties and stuff. I, I think you've got two factors at work there with that question. You've got the assumption that Frost is younger than he is because he's in pretty good shape and has the boyish good looks, and you've got Dan Mullen that kind of looks like every fifty year old <laughs> Southerner you've run yeah. into in Nashville. Or Atlanta. So it, it's kind of a trick question, but it's still mind-blowing when you get to that stat. But I do think, I'm kind of getting into this point, they do all these studies about, I mean, it does matter, like, people who look the part and, like, look like they're successful <laughs> and stuff. I have to think with Frost walks into a high school, that cre- would create a certain amount of buzz that he's there. Um, I mean, just... And, and not that, because he looks a little bit like Landry from Friday Night Lights. Well, just or? just he's got a presence about him. He he does. Like when they showed a video, I remember, you know, it was when his wife was about to have the baby, and they didn't know if he was going to coach in that game or whatever. And UCF shot a video of him, and he pops off the bus like he's a twenty-five-year-old, kind of cool, like in his sweats and stuff. And I was thinking to myself, like that counts for something. Like guys. Young guys see that. They're like, that guy's got some swag. I want to be around that. And um, that's not everything, but he definitely has some of that going for him, which I think is part of the reason people are so excited about him because he he will have that kind of youthful energy. It's, I mean, I've joked about it, but it'd be like the Kennedys coming to the White House here in Nebraska a little bit. Like they got their little kid and I think there's just going to be a lot of excitement about it that there hasn't been here in a long time. Speaking of age... Here's the other thing that has kind of blown my mind a little bit. You're going to have a a live read for an ad there. Yes. Uh, Scott Frost is going to be, if it's him, well. (laughs) If he's hired on Sunday. If if he's hired at Nebraska. uh, Will be older at that point than Bo Pelini was when he took over as Nebraska's Mm -hmm. head coach. And more experienced. Yes. Which Which is the biggest thing of all. Another one of those things that just kind of. Pelini turned the head 40 right after he was hired. Because mm-hmm. I remember we did an interview in his office, and they had a birthday cake for his 40th birthday, and he offered a piece. Did you accept? Yeah. Was it marble? <laughs> uh, it was chocolate. Yeah. I'm impressed you remember that. I remember that, yeah. I remember it really well. And I took the piece, which is kind of against journalistic standards, but I was so <laughs> hungry that day. I remember all that. But, yeah, he was 39 when he was hired. And Why that, didn't we vet these ethics? Yeah, you should have. This summer? Been like, this guy took cake from Polini. <laughs> <laughs> did it cloud your coverage of him? Well, I'd, some probably say it did. I mean, they're probably like, oh, that explains a lot. It's a Polini apologist because of that cake. <laughs> Thankful there was no riots after Nebraska 24-7 news leaked out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that'll be interesting to watch, I think, especially as they get rolling, if they get rolling. Yeah. Um, you're just going to couch everything you ever say now? It's kind of, it's kind of fun. <laughs> In a way, yeah. <laughs> I'm Michael Brunt, if I am. Potentially. The two greatest words in journalism, seemingly and apparently. Yeah. Reportedly. Anything can happen when it's seemingly and apparently. So we are currently uh, 40 minutes into the podcast. Have we reached prediction time? 
on who's going to get hired as Nebraska's coach. Or... Who, <laughs> by the time we get to this podcast next week or potentially an emergency gathering of the podcast over the weekend, who will be the head coach at the University of Tennessee? Hmm. None is also a, an acceptable <laughs> answer. Who you guys so what got? I'm rooting for. None? I'm rooting for none. They just do mob rule Twitter Twitter coaches? Well, no. I wanted to get to the point where like Les Miles is pretty much their only option. Just because I, I think that'd be kind of comical. Mike Singletary also. So, so Brahm is looking like a no at so this Brahm very moment. So Brahm seems like a no. And in the time that we've been recording this podcast, Tennessee has evidently pivoted to Dave Doran. So... Yeah, that could happen. Um, it might be as simple as that. You think it's going to be Doran? Well, is that your prediction? Do you think there's any concern that the last time they had a coach with Double D, it went horribly? Derek Dooley? I, I think those are. I think Derek Dooley's failure at Tennessee is unrelated to his initials. Just don't wear the orange pants again. Yeah, or do Boy. the binoculars thing at the press conference. We, anyways, we've talked way too long about <laughs> Derek Dooley. Derek Dooley on this podcast. Uh, name your who, who you guys got. Dooley's a guy who had swag. Um, I'll say. Well, if if Dave Doran gets offered the job, I have a hard time believing he's not going to take it. Okay. So I guess I'll say Doran, and then fo- the backup to Doran would be. T- I think they're almost a T Martin territory. Who's a great recruiter. I think they go to Jeff Fisher to try to turn their program around. <laughs> they can't go 8-8 eight and eight in college football, though. You can go 6-6. Six and six. That's true. Uh, I will go. I, I think Doran's going to be a yes. I think uh, they finally found somebody to say yes. But uh, barring, I, I think T. Martin might be a, a sneaky hire there if, if Doran decides to stay at NC State. And I, I honestly believe that NC State will have more interest in their head coaching job if it's Dave Doran. The Tennessee had in theirs. I'm a little disappointed Dave Clawson hasn't come up. That prediction could have really hit from September. You've been uh, driving that. Look, boat. Wake Forest dominated down the stretch, and by dominated, they covered like their last five games. Yeah. And frankly, that's what we're interested in. That's that's why you were rooting for Willie Fritz for every job a couple of years ago. I was. Tennessee is about to pay somebody money that, frankly, is ridiculous for probably their stature, though. We could probably agree on that. At this point, doesn't whoever take that job, even if you're Dave, like oh, Dorn, you mean the total amount that they're gonna pay? Yeah, like Dave, I don't think Dave Dorn's a bad hire for Tennessee. Well, I know, but what, but what's what he make now? What does he make now? What? I don't know. He's probably gonna get five million. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a lot. He's not gonna Dave get Dorn. that sweet Dan Mullen money. I mean, but... five million. I'll be honest. If if Frost is at five or something like that, that's a lot for Frost for what he's done so far. He hasn't been a power five coach yet but the market speaks and you got to do what you got to do would be the third highest paid coach in the big 10 if that's dave doran makes 2.2 million Mm. so they might not have to go that high but they'll get in the fours with him i bet he should get five million to put up with everything that's going on there that's the beauty for whoever they they've got such a great perch to sit on when they're negotiating right now that's why you got to go get somebody nobody else wants Mm. jeff fisher (laughs) <laughs> somebody tweeted a picture of jeff fisher holding a golden retriever the other day and it just made me laugh was that at what, the airport <laughs> like in what way it, was he holding it he was kind of holding it like you were cradling would, it like you would take like a sick dog to the vet it wasn't like a simba situation where he was like holding the golden retriever up to the clouds so you're potentially laughing at jeff fisher putting his dog down he was at the airport that's where it was from it was when he was uh fired 
Yeah. And he had to move the dog. He's getting out of town. <laughs> and unfor- <laughs> unfortunately for him, someone caught him with a toy poodle or something in his arms. You said it was a golden retriever. It, it was a large dog. Like he, it, it was wasn't a large like a, dog. It wasn't like a Newfoundland, but it was probably about a seventy-pound dog. I no, think. that's better. I guess. I'm looking up this photo. <laughs> Confirm what it is. This is all great, great podcast material, by the way. Oh, that definitely looks like a yellow lab Big or dog. golden retriever. Not a puppy. It uh, it's in between where you would call it an adult <laughs> dog and a puppy. It's like a toddler dog. I think in the hierarchy of sad coach photos, it's probably still Urban with the Papa John's and then Jeff Fisher with the Golden Retriever slightly farther down the list. I can't tell if it's a book bag or a hunting vest that he has on, but... I don't think it matters. He he looks like the epitome of disgruntled and unhappy to be in that. I got one more prediction question. How many coaches get retained from previous staff? Just throw out a number. Two. Okay. I will also say two. Two's a good number, but you took them. I would say two as well, but I'll say three. All right, we'll see. I like your number. I agree with two though. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me, just picking the great numbers. Yep, beat out the honorable mention uh, soccer player from Omaha North with a good number there. It was an overcast day. <laughs> All right, we need to, <laughs> we need to wrap this thing up. You can. Get a lot more information at Nebraska. Twenty four seven. If people want to ask questions about it in like a live chat about North Miller North nineteen ninety nine district if final, you would I like will to join a VIP chat and talk to Brian <laughs> Christofferson about his athletic career. He will absolutely answer those questions. We'll have a chat for sure on Friday morning, uh, and you can jump in and ask what you think the future staff would look like. Allegedly, uh, if it is seemingly or apparently Scott Frost. And all those other things. And uh, you might want to hurry on this. If you're not already a member of Nebraska247sports.com, we've got a deal right now. You can get one month for free with the purchase of one month that will take you through January, essentially, and you will get all of the recruiting coverage of allegedly Scott Frost's first recruiting class at Nebraska. And apparently it could be a good one. And seemingly we are at the end of this podcast So I bid you adieu and check with you next week.